Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, December 28th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Hydran Bowie. Hey, everyone. So we're recording with a different method, as you heard, I think, maybe the last time we recorded. We had some some technical difficulties, so we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to find the best way to, to do this. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this sounds better. But uh, let us know. Uh, okay, let's dive into it. Let's go into the news. We haven't had a news episode in over a week, so we have a lot of things to get to. Let's first talk about uh, how the government is hoping to save things like movie theaters. What's going on, HD? Um, yes. So a new coronavirus relief bill has been announced by Congress, the House and the uh, Senate have announced a compromised COVID-19 relief bill, which, if passed and signed by President Trump, will, will provide $15 billion in financial support to movie theaters and live event venues. And uh, this comes uh, many months after the first coronavirus relief bill, uh, which didn't provide nearly as much uh, designated money to uh, theaters specifically. It was a $454 billion loan guarantee uh, fund for businesses struggling uh, from economic blowback of the from the pandemic, um, including theaters and such, um, but uh, this one is specifically uh, designates fifteen billion dollars for theaters and live venues. This is a bill that NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, approved of, stating that with the federal government's aid, they can get movie theaters back on their feet. Um, but it's um, while it's earmarked specifically for um, live event venues, independent movie theaters, and cultural institutions, it's unclear which movie theaters would qualify as independent and um, what exactly the specific details are pertaining to theaters. But that would probably rule out like big dogs like AMC and Cinemark and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it probably would. And um, so it's it's unclear whether yeah everything is unclear for now. We don't know how it actually will play play out, but this will be great for the uh, independent chains that have been struggling, especially in the months since the pandemic started. Oh, nearly a year ago. Is there a chance that we come out of this whole thing with 
I mean, I think we all assumed at the end of this thing that like there would be big movie theaters for, you know, big blockbuster, you know, Marvel films and stuff like that. And there would be nothing else but that. But is it possible at the end of this thing that we just have movie theaters for small indie art house films and nothing else? Yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. But uh, it's good that this is around for, you know, these little small independent theaters to survive because I know this pandemic has been hard. I mean, on a lot of businesses, I see like, you know, I walk around my neighborhood and a lot of restaurants have already closed up around me. So it, it's like really sad. A lot of these like really small, you know, family run businesses uh, can't survive this thing. And hopefully the government can do the right thing and, uh, and uh, you know, keep these things around so that like, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what this post-pandemic world is going to be, but it's going to be weird. And uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but this this weekend, this uh, holiday weekend, I watched Wonder Woman. And we'll talk about that uh, later this week on The Water Cooler, Wonder Woman 1984. And I'm sure many of you watched it because I think, like they said, something like half the subscribers of HBO Max watched this thing uh, so much that they've already greenlit a sequel brad tell us about it yeah so just to clarify it was half the retail subscribers uh that watched it which means those who subscribe directly through hbo max and then there was millions more from those who subscribe through like their cable service or their um another partnership or something like that so yeah lots of people watched uh wonder woman 1984 and so warner brothers has now uh, officially greenlit wonder woman 3 and supposedly it's being fast-tracked into development as indicated in the press release with patty jenkins returning to direct um and uh, gal gadot returning as uh diana uh the princess of themiscura and that's pretty much all we know for now um you know there was some talk previously about whether or not Jenkins would return for a third movie because she was concerned that, you know, the theatrical distribution model might be marred by Warner Brothers' upcoming plans by putting their entire theatrical slate for 2021 onto HBO Max uh, the same day that it those movies hit theaters. And so she said the only way she would come back would be essentially if, you know, there was still uh, a theatrical model. And so I'm betting that since this movie is, you know, well past 2021, Warner Brothers was probably aware of this. I'm sure this movie is slated to uh, be released in theaters. Uh, it remains to be seen, you know, whether or not they will also give it an HBO Max um, in the future. There's there's no guarantee that that's something that won't be uh, off the table since, you know, as long as they guarantee that it gets released in theaters, that's what matters most. But uh, it's really a, a wait and see thing because some people are saying this Warner Brothers strategy is uh, an experiment. Some people think that it could go beyond that. Um, but as of now, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And uh, it, even though they say it's being fast-tracked, it's not clear exactly what that means as far as the timetable. Because, as we know, Patty Jenkins is also supposed to record um, shoot Rogue Squadron, a new Star Wars movie. And that has a release date slated for December of 2023, which would seem to indicate that that movie is probably further along in development than Wonder Woman 3. But Patty Jenkins has also talked about already cracking the story with Jeff Johns and knowing what they're going to do with that. So uh, I still think it's probably a safe bet that Wonder Woman 3 will come after Rogue Squadron, but, you know, anything is possible when we're dealing with movies in development. Doesn't she have also have other films that are greenlit? Like, uh, isn't Cleopatra? I don't know about greenlit, but that one I think is also in development. I don't, I don't remember if that was greenlit or not, but yeah, she's also working on a Cleopatra movie as well. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like not all three of these movies can happen, but maybe that's the cynical part of me. Uh, how did this do at the box office? Like, because this this did play in theaters internationally, and it actually it did play in theaters in the U.S. as well, right? Yeah, all things considered, it did about as well as it could have you know, with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, in the United States, there wasn't really uh, a big dent. So it only made $16.7 million at the domestic box office. But in the, you know, age of coronavirus, I, um, that was a pretty big deal. And then worldwide, um, combined with, since it actually opened the week before Christmas in international markets, uh, and so combined with the domestic box office, as of this past weekend, it had made $85 million worldwide. Wow. That's actually a lot of money. But it's it's interesting because like I feel like even with that amount, it probably didn't crack like the the top one thousand like openings of all time. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that that's like such a small opening for a big blockbuster superhero film. Uh, but I you know obviously <laughs> obviously you know it's it's uh, you know interesting circumstances. So uh, you mentioned before that Warner Brothers was putting all their their 2020 movie slate on HBO Max. That was a big decision that they made. A lot of people, including us, were speculating that this could be the beginning of the end. You know, we were the guy on the street, like the homeless guy on the street with the sign saying, like, you know, the end is near. Um, You know, Patty Jenkins signing on uh, for a third Wonder Woman film when she, you know, believes this requires the theatrical model, I think shows me that at least she believes that Warner Brothers doesn't want to go for an all streaming future. And I know there was a story today that kind of outlined what Warner Brothers plans were for the future of the DC universe. HT, what do we know? Yes, DC film chief Walter Hamada unveiled the plan that he has for the expanding DC film universe. And it basically paints a portrait of theater the bigger theaters getting released sorry the bigger superhero movies getting released to theaters while the smaller quote-unquote riskier films get released to hbo max so movies like wonder woman like uh like black adam for example will be hitting theaters while films like the batgirl film or static shock will be targeted for hbo max Um, but one thing that they'll share in common is that they will all be considered for potential hbo max spin-off series uh, which we started to see the the seeds Mm. of um, starting to be planted as well uh, like with the suicide squad spin-off featuring john cena's peacemaker as well as spin-offs of the batman and patty jenkins has even talked about doing a spin-off of her wonder woman series with the amazon um sort of center centric one yeah now uh how do you think uh warner brothers approach to the dc universe and this whole streaming thing is different than disney's approach with mcu Oh, I think they're t- they're definitely taking a page out of Marvel's book, especially with the the combined streaming theatrical uh, approach that they're doing. And Hamada also explained that he intends to release at least two DC superhero films a year with a maximum of four a year, which feels very in line of what Marvel's been doing for the past 10 years. Yeah. And um, the expansion into streaming uh, spinoffs is very much in line with what Marvel's done um, in the post-Endgame phase with the, with TV shows like WandaVision and um, Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it does feel like they're kind of 
uh, going forward now with uh, that intention in mind to to sort of start rebuilding that DC film universe after the original sort of original um, uh, approach didn't work out, but uh, maybe maybe this will work out for them this time. I'm yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm curious though. Like, I it's not that uh, original streaming movies are a new thing. Obviously, you know, uh, Netflix has been doing that for years now. Uh, but we really haven't seen original streaming movies on the level of like a Wonder Woman or like what Disney is going to be doing with the the Marvel series. Uh, it makes me wonder. Like, do you think they'll? Do you think this will create like a two tier system of importance in that like um, I feel like like audiences think like they put more value in a movie that plays in theaters than they do something they could just pop on on Netflix. Do you think the same will be will happen when, you know, in the future there there's DC movies on HBO Max or do you think those people will be looking forward to them just as much as, you know, they were looking forward to Wonder Woman 1984? which is originally, you know, theatrical only. I think there will for sure be a two-tier approach. And we've already started to see it too um, with some of the Disney releases. Uh, Not specifically Marvel shows, but like, for example, the live-action Disney remakes that we've seen. Like, I think Lady and the Tramp came out in Disney+, and I don't remember anyone talking about it. (laughs) And that I think there is definitely a distinction between those things, and people have already started to make that distinction. Um, It's kind of the Netflix effect where people put things on in the background and they give less importance to it, and and streaming services definitely cater to that tendency. Um, But I wonder if... Like if they get big stars and people who actually uh, were in the theatrical release movies, like the WandaVision, for example, is getting a lot of um, anticipation because it's got some of those main stars from the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as Loki. And um, they are miniseries, so they have like higher budget, production budget and everything. So if they go for that approach, then maybe those titles will have as much anticipation as a theatrical release um, and more so than just being like background fodder. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's interesting what Disney is doing with, you know, it, it really seems like they're going big with these th- kind of things like they're casting. I mean, aside from what you mentioned, like the, uh, the Lady and the Tramps or, you know, uh, what was that recent uh, one with the fairy godmothers that came and went? I don't uh, remember the name. Enchant, not disenchanted. That's the <laughs> godmother. Godmother. God- yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it, it was. I even had it. I even said it, and I didn't even know the name of it. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I I do feel like there's a two tier system over at Disney, but like what Marvel's doing is really interesting because it really does feel like they're putting as much effort and they're putting the big names and they're putting the big writers and directors on board with like what they're doing for their television uh, series. So I'm interested to see if like something like HBO or Warner brothers can recapture that with what they're doing on HBO max. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, let's talk about, let's go away from superheroes for a second. Let's talk about horror movies. Uh, last week we learned that David Gordon green, uh, who recently did that a Halloween uh, sequel is in talks to direct another sequel for another huge horror franchise, I guess? Franchise movie? I don't know. 
It, was the Exorcist a franchise, Brad? I mean, it had sequels, so yeah, sure. I feel like people only cared about the first one, though. I mean, I, I think that there might be like a, a a decent, like at least cult following for one of the sequels, but I'm I'm yeah. not I'm not deep into Exorcist lore, so don't quote me on that. So tell us what's going on with this Exorcist sequel. Uh, well, so it, uh, it has a director attached to it, apparently, um, and it's David Gordon Green, uh, who recently rebooted the Halloween franchise uh, with the 2018 sequel uh, aptly titled Halloween, um, which was uh, a movie that essentially ignored all of the sequels that came after the original Halloween and picked up uh, 40 years after the events of the original movie to continue the story of Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. So now it seems David Gordon Green has uh, taken a liking to continuing uh, the Exorcist franchise, as it were. Um, and But we don't really know exactly what he will be doing with this one, whether it will be similar to Halloween and that it will ignore any of the other sequels uh, or anything like that. Um, but... We simply know that he is working on it, and maybe it'll be something that is good. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, we, we, I really don't know. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, we do know it's a sequel, though. It's not like a reboot or remake, right? Uh, but I'm wondering, like, how do you do this? Because I feel like you'd need Linda Blair, but uh, like, I don't see like her being part of that. I mean, maybe she could, right? I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility necessarily. It would certainly be an interesting way to continue the story if they were to bring bring her back somehow. Um, but I, I I don't know, you know, because I, I think it's it's hard to do a movie like this if you're not you know picking up threads from the original and not have it just be you know another movie about an exorcism and having it carry the exorcist title really just feels like a way of uh, of selling it. So. You know, I mean, maybe the, the the best way to connect it is to bring back the same demonic entity uh, from the the original movie, and you know, but but even then, you know, I think you still have the same issue where it's like, okay, well, this is just an exorcism movie and happens to be using the exorcist title. So, you know, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I think you know a, a big dr- um, part of what made the original exorcist so good too is is William Friedkin and. Uh, if he's not involved or if he hasn't given his blessing, then you have to wonder how fans will, will end up feeling about this, too. Well, I mean, but I feel like David Gordon Green has earned some enthusiasm from fans like for that Halloween movie. I feel like that really was like for a lot of people, the the best Halloween sequel. So I, I don't know. And, and also Blumhouse is involved. And, you know, Blumhouse is a. Do they have a good track record? I feel like they produce a lot of stuff, but like I feel like the big ones have a good track record. The big like, the big like uh, theatrical titles. Yeah, I think that when they hit, they they hit pretty well. But you know, like like any uh, studio that specializes in horror, there's going to be some some duds in there just because horror can be a challenging genre to you know make a successful movie in. Yeah. Uh, we were talking before about Disney and what they're doing, and one of the projects coming up is a Lions King prequel movie, and this is going to be directed by Barry Jenkins. Which, when we learned that, we were all like, "What? Huh? Like, we were like, why would Barry Jenkins be directing a Lion King prequel movie? Uh, obviously, this I think is expected to go theatrical and not uh, direct to Disney Plus. Uh, but now we have uh, some idea why he signed on. HT, what do we know? 
Well, uh, Barry Jenkins reveals that he, when he was approached with the script and the idea for the Lion King prequel, he was as uh, reluctant as and skeptical as we all were when we heard that Barry Jenkins was directing a Lion King prequel movie. But he said that it was Chloe Zhao who is um, set to direct the Marvel movie Eternals, making the jump from indie filmmaking to uh, big studio filmmaking, that uh, convinced him to direct Lion King, which he was wary of taking on. And um, because the original animated film was such a classic and he he held in such high regard. Um, And he said that it was her as well as Jeff Nathanson's script that uh, really sort of sent him, gave him the... uh, they convinced him essentially to, yeah. to do it. He he read the script. He said, "This is really good," um, and he decided that um, if Zhao, if Zhao could do it, then he could do it. Yeah, and uh, he also said that like he was talking with his DP or something like that, and like the DP was like, um, "I don't have the quote in front of me. Where is it?" Uh, it was just like this is a chance to do something like what we do, but like in this realm. Uh, what do you think that means? Do you think it just means like a bigger budget? Um, I, I mean, I think it has to do with CG filmmaking, correct? Because <laughs> The Lion King yeah. is something that is so. It's, I mean, CG filmmaking of like a completely animal cast movie is so different than what Barry Jenkins does with his very humanistic, very face and character centric filmmaking. So. It's certainly a challenge for him. It would be interesting to see how he tra- like transplants that mode of filmmaking to what we have with the Lion King CG films. So maybe that's what he means. It's just more of a challenge and something that he can he can bring something new to rather than uh, the, the somewhat flat animated <laughs> film that we got from Jean Favreau. Is it weird? I was thinking about this the other day. Is it weird that like Disney is hiring all these live action filmmakers for these like these animated remakes, which are more and more not live action? Do you know what I mean? Like they're mostly animated. Like, isn't it weird that they're not like trying to find like an animation director that has like, uh, you know, has worked in that kind of realm because most of it I'm assuming is going back and forth with like animators and, you know, figuring everything out in like animatics and stuff like that. Uh, and I was also thinking, and this came to me because I was like watching, uh, Pixar soul, which is on Disney plus everybody should watch it. We'll talk about this on, uh, the water cooler later this week, but I was watching that and like how great of a movie that is. And Pete doctor, that's his like, what is that? His fourth film. He did Monsters, Inc., he did Inside Out, he did Up, and he did this. And I, I thought to myself, I was like, Pete Docter is such a great animated, in a, like, d- director for animation films. And then, like, I sat back and I was like, wait, no, Pete Docter is probably one of the best directors working today. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, not just animation, but as a whole, like, his track record is, like, unmatched. So I don't know. It it it's it just weird to me that like it, it feel like they keep on. And it, I mean, not that I doubt <laughs> Barry Jenkins and uh, that he would be the right person to do this because I'm very interested to do this. But it just seems weird that like they aren't that there's like people like you know. I mean, obviously Brad Bird has made the transition from now from animation to live action. 
but there's like other people that you know like like the interstins and there's people that want to make that transition Travis i Knight. feel like yeah those people i feel like would be wouldn't they be the better fit for these kind of movies yeah know. you know there is like a different mode of filmmaking there's a different almost physicality to to animated films versus live action films and I think of, like, for example, Travis Knight's Bumblebee movie, which is a good movie. And he comes from doing animation, like, um, I th- I was it? no, it wasn't Coraline. It was uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. And a lot of those uh, types of animated films that have, like, this sort of lightness to it. And he brings that to Bumblebee in a way that feels like an animated film and feels more energi- energized and exciting to see. Um, whereas I feel like, photorealistic animation of like Lion King uh, which is so <laughs> staunchly about being realistic isn't as exciting to see as as the animated Lion King film was the original so I don't know yeah for sure um anyways uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes because it seems like Disney's doing a lot more of these and we'll see what kind of filmmakers they pick in the future and and, and I'm just I'm very interested to see what what appealed to Barry Jenkins <laughs> to do a Lion King movie, but uh, you know, let's let's jump back into Marvel and let's talk about Chadwick Boseman, who obviously died uh, earlier this year, and uh, we thought that we would uh, never get a chance to see him back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Black Panther, but that might not be the case after all. Brad, tell us about it. Right, so uh, since Chadwick Boseman passed away, we know that he will not be returning uh, in Black Panther 2, and Kevin Feige has confirmed that the character will not be recast with a different actor, so uh, it sounds like we will, um, you know, won't see that iteration of Black Panther returning in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as the live-action side is concerned. But uh, before he passed away, Chadwick Boseman was able to record uh, lines for several episodes of Marvel's upcoming What If animated series. Uh, and this is an anthology series based on a series of comics that imagine alternate versions of Marvel's familiar heroes. So, for example, uh, as we saw in the trailer that was released during Disney's big Investor Day presentation uh, not too long ago, there will be a version of um, Black Panther who, instead of becoming Black Panther, actually becomes uh, Peter Quill or Star-Lord when he's picked up by Yondu in Wakanda. Um, so that's that would be one episode that we'll hear Chadwick Boseman's voice as T'Challa in, um, but there will likely be other episodes as well. well um, it'll be it's, it's unknown as to what form we'll see Chadwick Boseman in. Uh, there's a likely uh, chance that we will see him as Black Panther, um, but it also depends on what kind of story we'll see Black Panther and whether it will be um, you know something that takes a cue from a a Marvel storyline such as like the zombies storyline, which we have seen also teased in the trailer with a zombie version of Captain America. Um, or if we'll simply see different versions of T'Challa as other Marvel superheroes. But uh, it's very cool that Chadwick Boseman was able to finish this before I passed away so that fans who, you know, are still mourning that, that big loss um, of him as Black Panther will get a chance to uh, hear his work again. I wonder like, I don't know. I love the what ifs like stories those were like some of the, my favorite comics as a kid like in 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 the universe that uh that black panther doesn't become black panther and he ends up uh you know getting picked up by yondu and becomes star lord you know where is where does that leave eric killmonger the michael b jordan character 
Uh, you know, that's a good question. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's something that gets answered in that episode or if it merely follows a, a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, storyline instead of seeing what happens to Wakanda in the wake of, uh, you know, the, the heir to the throne uh, being taken away from Wakanda. But uh, I imagine we will find out when, when that series comes along. Yeah. Another project that Disney has in the works over at Marvel for Disney Plus is She-Hulk, which uh, when it was announced, we were kind of like, what is this going to be? Is this going to be like, you know, she she's a lawyer. Will it be about that? Like, what, is, what, what kind of take are they going to do with She-Hulk? And uh, now we know. H.T., tell us about it. She-Hulk will be a half-hour legal comedy, according to Kevin Feige. Um, and it will be something that pulls, uh, that will be a follow a case of the week structure and uh, pulls from writer-artist John Byrne's 1980s She-Hulk run, uh, which was a sort of semi-satirical take on the character and um, that uh, basically from Wikipedia, from what I could see on Wikipedia, uh, sort of presented a more fourth wall breaking um, spin on the character of Jennifer Walters, who is an attorney and cousin of Bruce Banner um, and gets her powers via an emergency blood transfusion, but can hulk out and retain her intelligence and personality while she does. <laughs> this seems so funny to me that like Marvel is doing these kind of swings. And of course, it's not you know, theatrically, it's not in the movie theater, but it it's like, okay, so like WandaVision is going to be this weird, like Truman show, like take on the TV sitcom of yesteryear and Falcon Winter Soldier, I'm guessing is going to be kind of like a buddy cop thing. And Loki's going to be like the strange time traveling cop show. And, uh, you know, what if, which you just mentioned, Fred, uh, it's, I think it's kind of like the Twilight Zone anthology, animated anthology series. And Miss Marvel, I'm guessing, is going to be like a teen drama. And Secret Invasion could be like a spy thriller. And Ironheart could be, uh, you know, teenage Iron Man, but gender swapped. Uh, I don't know what Hawkeye or Moon Knight is, but like, wh where else do you think Marvel can take, you know, their stories? Because, you know, now they're really starting to, I mean, I guess they've always tried to like do these like, Marvel stories in different film genres, but it really seems like they're with with Disney Plus and what they're being allowed to do on these TV shows. They're allowing to do do things way off the branch more. Do you know what I mean? What What would you like to see them do, HD? Um, I well, I feel like they've done almost every other genre. Uh, I'd like to see a good noir. I feel like that's something that I haven't really seen in the Marvel universe. Uh, something that uh, plays with genre in a way that would be really fun. Um, I don't know. What I can't think of any other genres off the top yeah. of my head, but um, it does seem What, what like do you think Hawkeye is going to be? Oh, well, Hawkeye, I'm imagining, will follow the Matt Fraction uh, comics, David Ayaf uh, comics. And um, it's, uh, it's very much a – how would I describe it? It's like an irreverent uh, – not spy comedy. It's like a buddy comedy at the same time as being it. Well, how would you describe it? I don't know. I, I, I've read the comic and I can't describe it. I would say that the, the style of it is kind of like, I don't want to say noir, but it has like these shadows and stuff. Yeah, there the is like a mystery that is, un is unsolved every time. But I mean, the closest com uh, 
reference I can make is to the the Zeppo episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which (laughs) follows a character who kind of is on the sidelines of all the action and all of his misadventures. So it's it's definitely something that's a bit more on the irreverent side and which is which makes it so fun and and, um, exciting. Brad, I have to ask you, since, you you know, you're the superhero bits guy on the site, uh, what, what, what genre would you like to see Marvel enter into with like a series? I mean, I think the one that they haven't really ventured into yet, uh, but they have promised to in the future with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is uh, doing something that's a little more horror oriented. Um, you know, I, th- I think something along those lines set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe could be really interesting. And uh, hopefully, you know, Doctor Strange will tap into that, especially, you know, since Sam Raimi uh, is directing this time around. Do you think we'll ever get the uh, the Marvel gross out comedy? Uh, I don't I mean, I don't know. That's that's an interesting question. I, you know, he Sam Raimi is obviously famous for doing, you know, very grotesque and nasty kind of, you know, gooey. Blade. Oh, I, w- I wasn't even talking about him. I'm just saying, oh. like, do you think like there'll be a day where we get the Marvel like, you know, hangover or bridesmaid? Do you know what I mean? Like the where <laughs> it's mean, like the over the top, like gross like out cringe comedy. comedy. Yeah. I don't know about that. You know, I think as I think the closest we'll get is probably what we're getting from Taika Waititi with Thor Ragnarok, you know, because I, I yeah. think you risk getting a little too silly. But then again, you know, it, since Marvel Studios is planning on making Deadpool 3, it seems, you know, I think that'll probably fit that uh, that little comedy niche. Yeah, I keep on forgetting Deadpool is part of this now. So, yeah, that's uh, yeah, I guess they can do anything crazy okay uh that does it for today's slash home daily you can find more of all of our work at slash home.com you can find this podcast on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash home.com and please rate and review this episode on itunes tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you on wednesday